Hi, welcome to Paperback Readers Podcast. It's Joe and Julie back to tell you what we've been reading, what we think about it, and then to put our heads together and try to give you two parts of the same story about a book that we think is especially worthy of your time and your attention. Thanks so much for joining us. We've got a lot to talk about. We might as well just dive right in. Julie, what have you been reading? What do you think? All right. So lately what I finished is the novel The Unraveling of Cassidy Holmes by Alyssa R. Sloan. I picked this book up because it was compared to Daisy Jones and the Six. You remember that one? Yes, yes. An outstanding novel about a band that never was, but by the end of it, you feel like they were... Uh, Of course, they helped that. They put fake lyrics in the back, which is awesome. (laughs) That was one of my favorite books of the year last year. So when this one was compared to it, I knew I needed to get it. This book follows um, an imaginary girl band called Gloss. And the three remaining members of Gloss are doing a radio announcement together when they discover that the fourth former member of the band who quit years ago has committed suicide. And the book follows their career and their current lives, trying to figure out what happened and where everything went wrong for them. So if you like pop culture at all, or you're a music junkie, this might be a novel that you would really, really like. It was fun to read. I also, because I always try to do a novel and a nonfiction book at the same time, um, I just finished The Ministry of Ordinary Places by Shannon Martin. Joe, I talked to you about this a lot while I was reading it. Absolutely. And and it sounds like one of her big focuses is you know, finding transcendence in the ordinary, paying attention to your surroundings, being an active participant in the day-to-day life instead of letting it slide by, which is always a risk. Right. And this book centers on faith. Joe and I are both people of faith. We're Christians who um, are looking for ways to be better in our faith. And Shannon Martin offers just a really down-to-earth, focused on paying attention to exactly where you are and who is in your community and how you can help there. I read it once years ago, but reading it this time really felt, I guess maybe in this pandemic time, it just felt more convicting to me because we are not around so many people right now. So it feels like my whole world has shrunk. And how can I help? How can I be of use to people around me here and now? Yeah, it's kind of time to dust off a lot of old thoughts and see new application and Yeah, anything that helps you do that is going to be thumbs up for me. Okay, so that's what I finished. What I'm reading now, the first one is called Joyful, the Surprising Power of Ordinary Things to Create Extraordinary Happiness by Ingrid Fattel Lee. It's also a reread for me. I can't get to a bookstore or the library as often anymore. (laughs) So this one's a reread, but it's worth it. Because again, in this time where most of us are having our lives restricted, our travel restricted, everything is restricted. What Ingrid Fattel Lee does is show us ways that we can create joy right where we are by using common, again, about paying attention, common everyday things that are around us, recognizing the things that are current in our lives that create joy. She identifies as Aesthetics, um, like harmony, abundance, things that naturally give us joy and then shows us ways to recognize them. Uh, and I want to dip in and say one of the things that's uh, given me joy has been the public library. Shout out to <laughs> Warren County Public Library, their curbside service. A uh, fair number of the books you are reading or have read, you wouldn't get but for them. And that's certainly true for me. Uh, appreciate all the librarians out there uh, helping our communities out in this strange and difficult time. 
Then the next blend that I'm working on right now, and I'm so close to finish with it, finishing with it, is called Someday, Someday, Maybe by Lauren Graham. I am a huge Gilmore Girls fan to the point that I kind of lobbied to name our son Luke, but Joe <laughs> shot that one down pretty quickly. Um, so when I found out that Lauren Graham wrote a novel, and she wrote this several years ago. I think it came out in 2014, but I still needed to read it. And so I bought it several years ago at a used bookstore and finally, right now, became the time. I was expecting it to be a light, fluffy read, just full of lots of fun and humor, like Lauren Graham really seems to be from her Twitter page, you know, and the interviews that I've seen. And there was a lot of that, but this story was also really, really meaningful as it explores just what it means to be an artist and how we should define both success in art and success in our private lives. Well, from what you've told me about the book, uh, Lauren wrote a character who sounds like there would be a fair amount of uh, identity there as a, a struggling young actress. Uh, I always think it's cool when somebody who makes it big and something kind of goes back and, and pins their, their after-the-fact love letter uh, to the people who are struggling. So I, I appreciate that. And you said it exactly right there. It, it felt like a love letter to acting, to art, to being young, to life. It's just, it's such a fun, sweet book. And again, I've got like 20 pages left. All right, then the last one that I'm reading right now is one that I have not been able to wait for. Kendra Adachi's new book, The Lazy Genius Way, Embrace What Matters, Ditch What Doesn't, and Get Stuff Done, came out on Tuesday, and I could not be more excited about it. Um, I love podcasts, obviously, and hers is one of my favorites. It's called The Lazy Genius. And in this book, um, which mirrors a lot of the things on her podcast, she talks about how to determine what matters to you in your life and then how to apply the principles to it to make sure that you are prioritizing what matters. I always think of her as like my more comfortable version of the lady who does the the like wild reorganization thing. I'm totally blanking on Marie her name. Kondo. There you go. I, I can't throw <laughs> away everything in my house, but you know, I can reorganize and put a little sense into the madness. So. Now, and let me say, while Marie Kondo recommends going through and just getting rid of anything that doesn't bring you joy, Kendra has a more doable approach for most of us in looking at our at a particular thing in our lives. Like I need to clean the kitchen. What matters to me about having a clean kitchen? And then once you have determined the important things about it, then you can figure out what it means to you and how to get it done well without losing your mind in the process. I'm about three chapters in, but it is an amazing book. You should check it out. Well, hopefully we will revisit that. On my side of things, uh, a couple of things I have finished. The Monk's Record Player uh, by Robert Hudson was a really interesting book. It's about Thomas Merton and Bob Dylan. And if those two don't seem to go together, well, there's a reason for that. The Hermit Monk uh, went through a difficult season of his life in 1966. He had some health problems and he fell in love. Uh, and of course, he stayed a monk, so he didn't consummate that love. But in the meanwhile, in his darkest hours, the music of Bob Dylan spoke to him. And obviously, I can identify with that. It's been there for my whole life. Thanks, Bob, for Rough and Rowdy Ways and, and all the other ones. Uh, but, but a cool book. You know, anytime you can take two separate dudes and, and join them together, it's a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I remember when we first started dating and you made me um, listen to a lot of Bob Dylan music and then you tried to take me to that first Dylan concert and we waited to the last minute to get tickets and couldn't get in. I did not realize at the time what a big deal that was to you, (laughs) what a big influence Bob Dylan is on your whole life. Oh, you mean how on May the something of 2001, (laughs) as we listened from an alley, he played Where Teardrops Fall for one of the handful of times on the never-ending tour. Yeah, yeah, guilty, that's me. Um, Sorry. Sorry about that. But but apparently it was Thomas Merton, too, although he didn't go to any shows that we know of. Uh, the second book was one I enjoyed with our kids. We have two kids. They love to read. We'll probably draft them in here at some point. Uh, we listened to The Hamilton Bird Duel uh, by Dan Gutman. It's a historical novel, as it would suggest. We've all got Hamilton fever around here. And actually, Gutman's stuff came first. It's the last of a series of books for about the Flashback Four, which is four teenage kids who can travel through time. And lo and behold, they go back to see the Hamilton Burr duel. Uh, won't, won't give any, uh, you know, giveaways on this, but, uh, you know, it, it's all in good fun. It's a painless way to get kids interested in history. And for adults, it's, it's really not bad either. Yeah, I'm not a huge audiobook fan, but I really enjoyed listening to this in the car with you guys. And it it sparked a lot of really good questions and conversation from our kids about history and this one in particular. And after you finished that book, they both checked out other books about Alexander Hamilton all on their own. They did. They did. Uh, who was Alexander Hamilton? I know that's one I've seen. Around and then they beg to repeat the songs from the musical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll dispense with uh, any performances anyway. Uh, the last one I did listen to another audiobook, and yes, the spoiler there that I count those as reading. I drive a lot. That's so, real reading. It's fine. You know, changes that heal by a guy named Henry Cloud. Uh, it was interesting. It's an older book. I didn't realize that at the time. He wrote it in the early 90s. Uh, a lot of Cloud's thesis in the book is that people have development problems as adults because they never really grow into adults. A lot of us are, are adolescents in adult bodies. Uh, obviously, uh, I can understand his point way too well. Uh, it was interesting. Cloud is is a... A scientist and a thinker, but also a man of faith, and so he kind of comes at it with those two world, worlds combined, which which made it, you know, easy to deal with and digest. Uh, I, I wouldn't probably recommend it as much as the other two. It's not as much fun, but uh, it was it was a solid read. Um, right now, working on *The Blood of Emmett Till* by Timothy Tyson, which is a book about the Till murders. He actually, or the Till murder, I'm sorry. He spoke to Carolyn Bryant, the lady who Emmett Till allegedly whistled at back in 1954 and wow. started the whole thing. Uh, and she basically admitted that she made up a lot of her testimony uh-huh. about Mr. Till. Uh, I'm not quite finished with it, but it's been very interesting. Uh, to review, obviously, a deeply shameful part of our nation's history, but one that's sadly still relevant today. Uh, since Hamilton came up, I'm reading Ron Chernow's Alexander Hamilton, which enjoying that, but it is a massive uh, book. I'm probably 40% finished. But and you then, keep reading just random notes from it that are just amazing. Well, there there was a worry of, of like, did they take all the good parts and, and use it in Hamilton? And no, they really didn't. There's so much. Uh, Chernow did fantastic research on this uh, that much i can tell you and 
look forward to finishing and discussing more. And then Carl Rollison's biography of William Faulkner. Uh, it's a two-part biography. The second part going to come out here in about a month. So this is part one I'm reading. Uh, I've read several Faulkner biographies. He's one of my literary pleasures, and, and Rollison's is as good as any I've read uh, through the first third or so. But we'll get into that a little bit more. Um, what else we're going to get into a little bit more is... The common book, the book that we both read, Julie was the source on this one. Again, I think that'll be true probably eight times out of ten. <laughs> but the book is Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. Okay, so we're reaching backwards for a book that's been around for several years. Hopefully some of you, hopefully many of you have read this book. I read it years ago, and I thought it was magnificent. And I put it on the shelf, and um, somewhere back in March, I guess... No, it's been later than that. It's been really recent that you read this. Um, but Joe was looking for a novel. You can tell from his list that he mostly reads nonfiction. But he thought he wanted a novel to read. And so I suggested this to him. I had been talking to another friend about how relevant this book is right now with the pandemic. And I thought that I really wanted to hear what Joe had to say about it. So, Joe, you want to tell us what it's about? Sure, I'll try. Summary without spoilers is the game plan here. Uh, Station Eleven is a novel about a world gone wrong. Uh, not uh, going to be that hard to believe for us. A pandemic has swept through the world. They call it the Georgia Flu. And the majority of our story takes place 20 years after the outbreak of the Georgia Flu. And the Georgia Flu has almost wiped out civilization entirely. People are left in, in small groups. They live in you know, old fast food restaurants or service stations. They have little outposts that are kind of de facto towns. Uh, and in this world, something called the Traveling Symphony exists. And this is a group of actors and musicians who go around and play classical music and perform Shakespeare plays. Um, so we have that whole narrative. There's several stories that are followed simultaneously. The outbreak of the Georgia flu coincides with the death of an elderly actor named Arthur Leander, and we follow Arthur's story uh, throughout you know, his life. Arthur, I could, if they ever make a movie of this, I, I kept seeing older years Jack Nicholson in my head. Oh, that's good. Just that ability to, to be this great star who has it and and is losing it a little bit only if he wants to though jack we love you um <laughs> but you know who looks back over this this life that he's not really thrilled with uh, and has to come to terms with it and he's playing king lear funny enough ironically when he has a heart attack and passes away at the beginning of the book i mean that that's not a spoiler because you'll know that about three pages in so uh arthur's part of it one of the other actors in the play, a little girl, ends up being part of the Traveling Symphony. Her name is Kristen. We follow Kristen. We also get the story of the medic who is there in the audience and runs up to try to help Arthur and his battle with the world during the time of, of the Georgia flu. Um, there's also this secondary narrative of this girlfriend of Arthur's who writes this comic book. And this comic book pops up again and again in the narrative. And it seems like a silly little vanity project. Nobody ever sees it. It's never published. Uh, but lo and behold, the story ends up coming around. Out of the handful of people who ever saw this, it ends up having profound effects on each of them. So obviously there's some meat here. Let, let's dig into it a little bit, Julie. What did, we, what did we think about? What did we talk about? Well, obviously one of the big things for us was the timeliness of this book. 
Um, having When I read it, a pandemic was the last thing on my mind, and I could not have imagined this, and I found the world that she painted truly chilling. Like when, after Joe had read a great deal of it, I would say to him, "Have you? did you see this part? Did you see this part? Just because they were these images, these scenes that were frozen in my mind in a way that it was just impossible for me to imagine the world could, that a world could become that way. Obviously, our world is not wiped out in the same way that the Georgia flu wiped out civilization in this book, but there are still so many similarities in the ways that people react to a disease that is so terrifying and they don't know any cure, they don't know any way to handle it, they don't know what to do. Yeah, there's in particular, there's one character who's taking care of a sibling uh, who, who's unable to get around on his and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, and, and there were times with this book where I would kind of look at Julie and I'd say, I don't know if I wanted to read this book right now. It really did cut close to the bone at times. Not all the time, because, yeah, the, the, the Georgia flu just lays waste everything instantly. It's very different than what we're going through. And yet there were these odd little echoes that popped up that, that did haunt me. I wasn't really sure how I felt about the novel until the end. But we'll, we'll go into that a little bit more. The reason that I chose this book in the first place, honestly, was the artistic connection to it. The fact that the traveling symphony in a world that's been devastated, there's no electricity, there's no internet, there's no air conditioning, there's no, people are living in old Walmarts, for goodness sake. They are still valuing Shakespeare and people are traveling around, putting on art and using art as a way to help themselves survive physically but also as a way of saving their own spirits and the spirits of the people who hear their art. Oh, there are some hilarious, I mean, darkly hilarious, but hilarious moments in this book in terms of how even within the actors sometimes like, eh, should we really be doing this? I could write something better than this. You, you know, <laughs> and, and like how many years have people been saying this about Shakespeare, but, but how profound is it that centuries on, I mean, even that, that the work even survives in normal times, but more so in a time when... You know, your, your vocation isn't just something you do from eight to five. These people are living for this art and their commitment to it is, is just beautiful and inspiring and, and does make you wonder, you know, we, we can't have plays right now. We can't have concerts right now except the, the ones we get on YouTube from people sitting around with their family, which is awesome, but uh, is very different. Uh, you know, what what. What does art mean? What should it mean? It's definitely a vein that runs deep in this one. And here's another thing that I see that connects art, the art in the book with the timeliness of this book for us right now. Even though we can't go to concerts, we can't go to plays, I would say that books have been saving me in many ways right now. Joe can attest to the fact that since uh, everything for us closed in mid-March, since then I have been devouring books just like air. They have been a way to escape from everything that's going on. And it's not just me. I'm watching um, people online using the internet to do all kinds of things to share their art. Uh, Johnny Swim has been putting on backyard concerts. Billy Collins has been doing poetry readings on Facebook. People are becoming creative in ways to get art out there, to share it with people, and to really just speak to the soul. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things where 
you know, you, you don't like to think of terrible things as an opportunity, but, but to some extent they are. When, when the normal ways of doing things are gone, what can you create? What can you, you know, shine a light on that otherwise might be missed? And that, that has been one of the, the high notes of this entire pandemic that we're suffering through now, but obviously also within that book. It really is a book about the resilience of the human spirit. There's this moment near the beginning when everything is shutting down. Like you can watch TV anchor people just dropping away and you're staring at a fake, uh, just a blank screen. And it's horrifying. But the resilience of the human spirit comes through, even in these people who are left. I found myself dialing back to to William Faulkner's uh, Nobel Prize speech that that man won't merely survive, he will triumph, that that inexhaustible human spirit will be the last thing left. And that's ultimately why I I ended up positive on the book. I said I wasn't always sure about it, but at the end, Station Eleven, there's no, you know, God from the machine moment where everything's going to be all right for these people. But at the end of the day, the fact that they have the ability to keep moving forward, to strive on, to keep hoping uh, is what makes the book come off as as a beautiful and moving uh, book instead of just a navel-gazing, drag-you-through-the-dust kind of book. And for me, that's what I look for in any book. For me to say a book is good, it's really got to have some of that hope. It doesn't have to end happily. It doesn't have to end the way I want it to. But I have to see that resilience, that perseverance, that overarching hope that things can be better. So books that are similar, or if you liked X, you might like Station Eleven. Uh, The two that came to mind, one was The Road by Cormac McCarthy, obviously for that end of days you know, world turned upside down kind of thing. Uh, the road is darker, but it does have that same ultimate message of, of hope that you strive on and you seek deliverance. Uh, so that was one that came to mind. Another one that came to mind more from a stylistic viewpoint was uh, All the Light We Cannot See. I love that. Just just the same ability of the authors to write about very difficult times, but to do it in such a gorgeous way. Emily St. John Mandel wrote a very lovely book. I mean, just her powers of description, her ability to capture the poignant beauty still left in a world that's kind of an ember is is gorgeous. And, and both of those books, I think, share that. So those were two that jumped to mind for me. All right. I guess that about wraps it up for us today. We want to say thank you for joining us. Um, and we hope to hear from you and to um, have you back listening next time. And in terms of hearing from you, reach out to us, paperbackreaderspod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. That'll get to us. Tell us what you think. Tell us what we need to read next. Tell us how we can do a better job of involving you in this conversation about books. And until next time, keep reading. Keep reading.